I watched a movie yesterday and there was like a moment that really took me out of it because the main character was talking about how his big dream was to like own a house. (laughs) And I was just like, what alien world is this, this person existing in where they like think they can own a house? Like it's very unrelatable in the world where you can do that. (laughs) Yeah. There are still places where that's possible. (laughs) Not relatable content. (laughs) (laughs) I speaking of relatable content, I thought, today's book would be very relatable to everyone here. All right. Well, I guess for a started then, do you want to... We're getting better at these segues. Do you want to introduce our book? Uh, Yeah. So uh, today's book is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tomine. Very certain I've pronounced his name correctly, unlike most of the people in this book. Um, (laughs) I was a little frustrated because there were no correct examples of how it was pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. No, no worries. I, I've cheated because I actually met him in person and he told me how to pronounce his name. And also his last name is Japanese. And if you understand Japanese, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Once I got that <laughs> tidbit, I'm like, well, I like I was pretty close just by my initial assumption. Uh, but knowing that he's of Japanese descent also definitely helped. But also not that hard of a name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The number of times people seem to feel like it's a real affront to their person to have to pronounce this last name is very fascinating. Um, and also, I mean, this is for <laughs> like already getting into the story of it here, but like so many of those occasions are when someone would have had time to prepare. Like if you're reading a yeah. list of nominees for an award, if you, you have been hired or volunteered to read the list of nominees for an award, the least you can do is spend five minutes before you get up on stage making sure you know how to pronounce those names. Yeah, and I will even, uh, I will go one step further and I'm going to give a little bit of grace to the presenter and say, maybe even if you're the people organizing, then like write out phonetically what (laughs) is supposed to be said by your lazy presenter that can't be bothered to do research. Sure, that would work too. (laughs) Yeah, anyways. Thank you for doing the research. (laughs) (laughs) No worries, no worries. Yeah, so we should start with a character building question, should we not? Um, So I have a very, uh, a very quirky character building question today. So my, and I'll explain my question after, but my question is, if you had to have a comic panel tattooed on your body, what would it be? And it, (sighs) You don't have to necessarily know the specific panel, but maybe the artist or the the series. And I have I have had the time to think, so I will start with my answer so you guys can do some thinking. So I would have Death from Death, the High Cost of Living as drawn by Chris Bacallo or Bachelor, Bac- no, Chris Bacallo, all these last names. Anyways, and specifically the scene uh, right before Death dies. I just drew that panel uh, in my own style recently, and I was thinking about how much that particular graphic novel still resonates with me, and it was really the first non-superhero comic that I read, and so that is why I would choose that. Hmm. I actually didn't know that that comic was drawn by Chris Bacallo. He was one of my favorite artists when I was a teenager. Well, he hadn't yet become Chris Bacallo at that time because later he went on to his fame in X-Men and Generation X. Yeah, that's found, right. Found his style, but previously he was famous for drawing death. Which okay. I, met, I met him at a comic convention and I asked him to draw death and I could see from the look on his face that I was the one millionth person to ask him to draw death. <laughs> and it was the last thing that he ever wanted to do, but he still did it. Yeah. I appreciated that. (laughs) 
That's cool. Well, I'll go next because this is also something I've given thought about. I'm not sure I'm committed to the idea of tattooing a comic panel, but every time I see a panel of Kakashi from Naruto, like just looking very badass and someone has had that tattooed, I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) very tempted. (laughs) So that would probably, it's probably inevitable that's going to happen eventually. Uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm JD, and I don't know if I have an answer. Uh, I mean, I'm always, this is why I don't have any tattoos, because I know that I'm not going to like my own art five years later, and I'm not sure I'm going to be interested in the same art in the same way from someone else five years later. Um, I don't know, I just, picking something that's going to be permanently a part of you, that's, that's a big decision. Anything I picked right now, it would be like five years from now, I'm going to go back and listen to this episode and say, boy, I'm glad I never did that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. Well, in that case, you have to pick something ridiculous, like question hound on your butt or something. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, what would, what would be the thing you would pick today that you would then inevitably regret in uh, five years time because again part of the question was you have to so it's not like yeah. you don't have a choice I must okay yeah 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 because yeah. i knew i knew that mo- the real answer would be i wouldn't do that for exactly the reasons <laughs> you specified yeah okay, if, well, I, if i, I this. was like if this was a life or death situation at least i know i would be happy looking at kakashi for the rest of my life <laughs> does it count if i pick something that's called manga but technically isn't such as a hokusai manga. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to... I vote yes. I, I'm going <laughs> to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyone who doesn't know this, this tidbit from art history, uh, the word manga before it was used to talk about comics was used to talk about books of drawings. And hokusai, the uh, woodblock artist from the 1800s in Japan, produced all these like mass-produced books of his drawings uh, and they're called hokusai manga. And I'm sure I could find a, a really good illustration uh, from one of those that I would be willing to put on my body. Well, further to that then, like if you want to expand it that far, I'm surprised you wouldn't go for an Aztec codex. See, again, I think five years Mind ago, if you'd codex, asked me right? that, I, I might've said, yes, like, great. I want to do that. And now I'm not so sure I would. Interesting. Okay, very <laughs> interesting. Oh, there we go. See? I mean, I, I really like all those Mer- Mesoamerican books, but I feel less personally invested in them now i don't know okay all right well here so now i'm going to explain my weird question and i know that we're in a visual medium but as i talk i am going to screen share with you guys so my friend robin fisher got a panel of optic nerve uh, which is adrian tomine's first series tattooed on her arm (laughs) And uh, she sent a photo of this to Adrian, who at the time was running a letters page because every issue of Opting Nerve was a 24-issue comic. And this is sort of pre-internet, so you could write letters to the creator. So he published her letter with a photo, and he's like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe somebody had my art tattooed on their arm. And then I was with her at 8-2001 when they met face to face and he was just like, holy shit, you're the girl with my panel on your arm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so uh, that was actually the how I discovered Adrian Tomine and Optic Nerve. And at the time he was just doing these little, uh, little mini comics uh, with sort of slice of life stories. And uh, I'm a huge fan of his work. And I would actually, I would say after reading this, it actually made me think that I think in a lot of ways, writing-wise, I think he is a huge influence on my approach to comics, that I think reading those early optic nerves, uh, which ironically, people say he was influenced by, you know, Jaime Hernandez and uh, Daniel Klaus, who I didn't read, but just the way he would sort of encapsulate these little go-nowhere moments of people just being people in a very realistic way, I was just like, yeah, like... I want to do some mumblecore comics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so 
yeah, I just, I wanted to, my, I thought my question could tie into a little personal anecdote there. Um, but yeah, Adrian uh, Tomine was self-publishing when he was a teenager. And then eventually he uh, garnered enough attention that he was picked up by Drawn and Quarterly, who started collecting his work into these more slightly professionally printed uh, 24-page comics at comic size instead of mini comic size. Um, and it was called Optic Nerve which eventually got collected into multiple graphic novels. Uh, I think the first major one was Summer Blonde. And uh, since then, he's just uh, got a uh, ongoing career as a, a graphic novelist. He's been published in The New Yorker. He's done album covers. And uh, one of his other most recent trade paperbacks was uh, Killing and Dying. And then this is his most recent work, uh, Loneliness Long, Long Distance Cartoonist. And it's been really interesting to see his style evolve. And his work was getting a little bit more fantastical. And I see now that he's, this to me is a return to form of just like really capturing this really genuine kind of auto bio. And yeah, he is a Japanese American and that's sort of relevant to some of the things that happen in the, in the story. I guess I wanted to sort of sing some praises of him because I feel like that is in direct contrast to his self-image and the way he talks to himself in his brain uh, throughout the story, which I also was going to say after reading this, uh, super relatable content. I'm very glad people say comics is a way of allowing you to feel like you're not alone. And so it's nice to know that somebody else has the same horrible self-critical voice of anxiety uh, following them around day to day in all mundane interactions they have with other people. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, um, but yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, clearly I like this book. Uh, I'd love to know what you guys thought after reading it. Yeah, for sure. So I read it yesterday because, uh, drawn and quarterly lied to all of us when they said that there was a digital edition and there was not. And this is the thing that I've noticed about drawn and quarterly is that they don't like digital editions and I'm begging you publishers at drawn and quarterly please recognize that we are entering you know like your books are beautiful they're great i understand why you're so dedicated to print but for accessibility reasons supply chains are getting even more wonky you know like this is going to get worse before it gets better please give people more options but anyway shout out to vpl who had this book and i was able to go and read it yesterday uh, this is actually my introduction to Adrian Tomine's work. I've never read anything of his before. I'd never even heard of Optic Nerve, uh, but this is just kind of because I came through comics through a different path. Like I, I still feel like I am learning about the independent cartooning world, and I've I've learned a lot over the last decade. But uh, I think as I go farther back in time, like my my knowledge is still a bit spotty. That being said, I don't think it's the best introduction to his work. <laughs> it definitely left a very weird impression. And I I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was interesting. But it was an uncomfortable read. And I have critiques that we can go into later. That's my initial impression. All right. Uh, I have a, a similar take, I think. I mean, there are things I like a lot about it. But it's just the first 90% of it was painful to read. Which is not to say that it's not relatable. Uh, like I, I could tell very early on that, oh, he's just remembering all the bad things that have ever happened to him. Like there are literally no good things that happen in this book. It's just, he, he's like mentally hyper-focused on like all the terrible things that either he's done or that have happened to him and, and just obsessed with those. And like, okay, I get that. Like, I, I'm not immune to that. It happens to me too. And I guess I, I was more expecting a sort of like a more sort of, well, not objective, because like, how can you be objective about uh, in, in an autobio story, but more like, I don't know anything about Adrian Tomine and this is what he's choosing to tell me about, <laughs> about how much of a jerk he is and how everyone else is a jerk to him. Uh, and I mean, he, and to be fair to him, he, he did tie it all together in the end, because that was the point of the book. Like, clearly, by the end, it's like, oh, I really shouldn't be remembering my life this way. This is not healthy or good. 
Uh, and yeah, okay, there's a there's a solid point there. It's just it's not fun to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I wanna I wanna echo that sentiment because I feel like you put it very well, and it it very closely mirrors my my overall feelings, which is I felt that the the emotion being portrayed, what I came up with in my head to describe it was cringe, but cringe on purpose. Like it's it's leaning into cringe, like all the moments that you replay in your head, which again to Jeff's point is very very relatable. It's very real, but yeah the balance for there was not the balance was not there for me I would have felt I feel personally that like as a reader I wish there was a little bit more after this and Mm -hmm. I kind of I understand that you know it's a very nice you know bow on the construction of the book but yeah reading that first 90 percent just to get to this end and then it's over uh, I was wondering if whether it was a dig because throughout the book, people say that his endings are like abrupt and intentionally ambiguous. <laughs> Although I don't feel like this one is ambiguous. But yeah, it just ends. And then all I feel is like there, there isn't enough to balance out the cringe. So at the end, <laughs> all I come away with is cringe. <laughs> yeah. But mean, it's that's... a very well-constructed book. Like the, the mm-hmm. art is there. The writing is there. Uh, it's just I would have balanced it differently if I was in my hands, I feel. Yeah, I think that's um, uh, an interesting sort of way to reinterpret it because uh, like my thought uh, was that, oh, he should have put in some other good things that happened along the way. But no, I don't think that would have fit the premise he was going for. I think he perfectly executed his vision. But if if it were to be different, then I think that would be the way to do it. You're right, is to have like maybe at the end he goes back and looks back and remembers a couple of good things that happened along the way too. Yeah. Or some scenes of him having a healthier relationship to his work. Yeah. To kind of provide that before and after contrast. But yeah, I mean, short of that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's anything I can critique about the way he's done it because he's done exactly the thing he set out to do. Yeah. I I agree with that. Yeah, I was thinking about like his previous book was um, Killing and Dying, which was reference to stand-up comedy. And I sort of felt like this made me think a little bit about the kind of weird connections I see between comics and stand-up. And like, uh, I sort of felt like, yeah, this book was like 90% set up for like the like quote unquote punchline or payoff at the end. Because it sort of is like, in a way, like, I mean, and I, I hope everyone caught the the last comic that appears, the last page that appears after the the copyright notice, because like that was the thing I kind of liked was like it the last very last page is basically him waking up and sitting at his desk with a grid paper moleskin and like starting with panel one and in a way I just really like the idea that you're holding this document that he essentially like started building in the middle of the night after this experience and it's like all of his reflections leading up to this health crisis where he had this epiphany and, so, and I don't know it's uh, I, this is where I do think like the book design I think enhances this because like and again I understand respect to anyone who wants digital books but like the way that they design this to be a moleskin with like the little elastic and it's got the little like string and it's even got like the drawn and quarterly as an orange price tag, like, and the the author's bio is written in pencil on the last page. Like, it's like you're, for me, it's part of the experience is you're like holding, you're, it's almost like you stole this book from his desk and now you're like reading it, you know? Um, yeah, the, the print execution is perfect. It is a perfect reproduction of a moleskin. Uh, and that is really nice. And it just took me a really long time to get to VPN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I know, I know. I wanted, I only suggested this because I was under the mis- misguided delusion that it was available digitally. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a dig on you. It's a dig on Drawn and Quarterly. And it's like, yeah, holding this book, I'm like, I get why this is important to you, Drawn and Quarterly. Like, Ducks was also beautiful. Every book I've ever seen from Drawn and Quarterly has been gorgeous. Not everyone can get a hold of these books. <laughs> Yeah, what if you what do you do if you live in a city that doesn't have a good library? Yeah, yeah or a good bookstore, you know, like or you, yeah. shipping is super well, expensive. I mean, and I I just know people who live in tiny apartments who just don't want to have giant 
bookshelves full of books. And so respect to people that are just going digital, you know? But yeah, I guess like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to dig in more. Like, I think everything you guys said is true. I agree with everything. I think maybe part of it is my tolerance for cringe is like way <laughs> up there. And sometimes like, that's I'm fair. Just, like, yeah, that is very fair. It's, I think that's a very, it, it's like whether or not you can handle cilantro. Because <laughs> right, I, right, I yeah. also, so like, I've actually studied this a little bit. Um, just within my personal life, because there's a, a very distinct boundary that I cannot personally cross. Like I can watch Arrested Development, but I can't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and I can't watch People. I can't mm. handle that level of cringe. Like there's a mm. there's a threshold that I cannot comfortably transcend. Yeah, that's I, relatable. Like I can't, I've never been able to watch The Office because it's always oh. cringe. I mean, fun fun side note, my, I had a friend who used to love to watch Peep Show with me specifically because they loved the way I would like squirm and like literally my body would cringe while watching it. Um, yeah, I would just leave. I would Peep, Peep Show. <laughs> Peep Show is my threshold. That was like that's where I was like, whoa, man, that's you got to cut that with something. That's too much. That's just. <laughs> It's like put nothing some... but cilantro. It's a cilantro <laughs> yeah. salad right now, which I don't know. Cilantro salad. Yeah, I'm good cilantro with. Salad. I can eat cilantro salad. <laughs> um, but I do think, I think, I don't know. I think part of what appealed to me about this, and maybe this is where I'd love to get your perspective is like, I think for me personally, I sort of saw so much of myself in the work and I related so much to the struggles I've felt in my own cartooning career. And I guess in one way to see someone who I think of as a quote unquote successful cartoonist also going through those things was heartening, but also the end message of like, you know, I mean, essentially he's, he's got all these grievances about his comics career. And then he has a health scare where he thinks he's having a heart attack. And when he's confronted with death, he's just thinking about his wife and his kids and like his takeaway is like, I need to not worry about this petty bullshit and just like really focus on living, which is like something that I've really, that has sort of been my approach over the last couple of years. And it's like, I was like, oh yeah, like, cool. Like that is the right answer. I'm, I'm also doing that. Like, uh, so I sort of enjoyed I don't know. That's again. It's just sort of hit hit me in all the all the relatable points, uh, which I understand is not not where everyone's relating. But I, I, I just I, 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 it's interesting. Like a cartoonist writing about being a cartoonist. Uh, I'm curious what you cartoonists think of that, because I know like writers sometimes think writers writing about writers is sort of verboten, and so it's like. Oh, no, it's not. Writers write about (laughs) writers all the time. Oh, my God. And I also can't stand that, though. I mean, the writer is like the tortured protagonist (laughs) who nobody understands and writing is so romantic. And just like, if only I can get my vision out and people will understand me. Writers write about writers all the time. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, but like, it also gets criticized all the time. So I'm just curious <laughs> how we feel about cartoonists writing about cartoonists. <laughs> uh, cartoonists writing about cartoonists also gets criticized. Maybe I'm a little closer to this because I've, I've worked very often in the autobio genre and there's a lot of cartooning about cartooning. And uh, I feel like it's cred is that the well will run dry. It's kind of like a, an Ouroboros after a point. You know, I I, mm. I personally prefer to read autobio when something else is going on. This, I feel, was a very powerful message. I feel it's a very powerful message to the comics community specifically, which is very interesting. It felt to me like the literal manifestation of the phrase, comics will break your heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Comics will give you acid reflux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah comics will make you think you're having a heart attack yeah. but I feel like it's a little bit more broadly applicable than that because I've also seen this I've met this type of person before for sure uh and I've met this type of person across a wide range of things and it's it's all about taking whatever it is you're doing super super seriously it's serious to the point of the exclusion of all else 
but this does tend to happen like very often in cartooning for some reason. I think probably because cartooning is so difficult and the rewards are so poor. Yeah. Yeah. In proportion to like so many other things you could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked the quote in the beginning, like being the world's most famous badminton player. Like it does, <laughs> it does feel like that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's more than five people. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know that more than five people will show up to your badminton match, do I? Badminton is crazy popular, actually. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I know people who have gotten like really, really serious about badminton too. And it's funny because they had a certain epiphany, which is like badminton needs to not be my life. And then they got uh, really into volleyball yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. And this is this is what kept tripping me up with this book too, is that he's got so many things going well in his life. Like he's got a wife, he's got two kids, he's like making a living at what he loves to do, or, or at least what he thinks he loves to do. Uh, he's got like a publisher, he's got all these book signings and like he's nominated for Eisner's. Yeah, like even just being nominated is like that's that's huge. Yeah, I it's interesting because, yeah, he spends a whole chapter on, as we alluded to earlier, Frank Miller being unable to pronounce his last name, being unwilling to even try to pronounce his last name and and being so affronted by that. And I, I do, I did definitely have kind of a, a, like a first world problem sort of reaction to that of like, oh, wow, it really sucks when you're nominated for an Eisner Award and they, they don't say your name properly. Like, I'm not nominated for an Eisner Award. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, though, uh, like, Frank Miller is kind of like his childhood hero. Right. And, like, not only does he, like, decline to pronounce his name, but then he's, like, stuck at this book signing. It's a Frank Miller poster behind him, isn't That's it? That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It is. Like, this yeah. super racist poster from a yeah. super racist Frank Miller comic. Yeah. yeah. And, like, like, I, I really also like want to bring back that, like, the not being in. willing to pronounce his name is also racist. And it's a racist yeah. thing that's happened throughout his life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even, I actually kind of thought, like, it reflected a little badly on Seth that he's the one that draws attention to the poster. I was like, you don't need to point that out to the guy. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think this is just, I mean, I've, I've never met Seth. Uh, there's a whole story about why I haven't met Seth. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, it's hard to know from the, the two panels where that happens, like what Seth's deal is there, but I, I don't feel like he's, I think he recognizes that this poster is problematic and that's why oh, yeah. he's pointing it out. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't, I don't think Seth was like, happy i don't know it just it just felt like a uh an odd thing to point out it would just be like maybe just like let let the other person realize it's there at some point you don't need to be like hey look at that (laughs) but it's like it's also acknowledging that like problematic things are affecting the people around you i feel like Uh, fair enough fair enough and we don't we don't know what seth's relationship to yeah uh to adrian is and also i think it it hits a little harder than it probably did in real life because we're in this like cringe montage mm. right, right. <laughs> where it That's just true. feels like kicking someone while they're down but you know the other things have happened clearly right yeah yeah uh, but like going back to uh john you mentioned like there's a story to why you haven't met seth like something that also really struck me about this book and about cartooning in general is how small (laughs) there's like a how small the cartooning world is Mm. Uh, and that kind of has a double factor like it has this this kind of Kevin Bacon factor where no matter how insignificant you are you're not that far from the people who are the most significant in your industry but it also kind of gives you this impression that the the pinnacle of success within our field is not that far because we can mm. literally see it just with like a couple of chains of connection. Mm-hmm. And it kind of exaggerates that, well, why does this person get that and I don't? And why mm. has this happened to me this way and not to that person that way? Like it just, mm-hmm. I feel emphasizes that because it's such a small pool of people. But there's also another problem, which is these stories stick around. Right. You know, like it, it, the drama does have a very long memory mm-hmm. in comics i would say and that's right. that's a, a unique factor through our community mm-hmm. uh, probably yeah. not unique like well compared to anyone else but compared to several other different types of hobbies yeah have. yeah and i i actually 
I think connected to that, I appreciated that he went in and like scratched out a whole bunch of names because uh, clearly he's just like, I don't want to spill all the tea. So yeah, <laughs> like, yeah and, but then, then at the same time, it's like it's not going to be impossible to figure out who he's talking about. Like the yeah, the yeah. older, especially cartoonist. to the people involved. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like he he meets this older cartoonist who thinks he's working, like he's in IT or whatever. Um, and like, I've got some guesses about who that is. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that scene at that time well enough to know for sure, but like, mm, it's a short list. Mm, yeah. Only so many people. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, again, it's like the, just yeah, the, the way that all these interactions go with the different cartoonists and just like, even just like that, going back to the Seth thing, like getting dragged out to this comic show, like comic store to do a book signing and it's just super sad. And it's very clear that like the, the owner is just like bringing artists in for his own cred so he can get his own personal book signed. And he's in a small town that nobody cares. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm just like that. And I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but I'm also like, that feels super, I bet that happens a lot. I bet lots of professional cartoonists are like, oh, oh yeah, I also got dragged out to that comic book store. He uh, also sure? called his five friends and- like, are you sure that hasn't happened to you? Because I'm thinking there. I mean, uh, <laughs> I can think of some conventions, yeah. You know, there, we've done book signings too. It yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. the, the, the noteworthiness is this also happens to Adrian Tomine. Right. But... <laughs> yeah. Like that uh, part was definitely relatable. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm glad I haven't had to deal with a stalker. That was... Uh... Oof. Yeah, that was scary. <laughs> Again, I'm focused on all the bad things. With I noticed there's nothing in here about uh, your friend who got a tattoo of. Um, Indeed, true, true. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I mean, this is yeah. I mean, it's as I'm reading this, I was thinking about where I was, right? Like, mm. I mean, some of these are like you know 2001, and I was like, oh, I met him, and I like bought a bunch of his books, and like he did a sketch for me, and like you know like. I'm thinking like, wow, I was looking up to you at this point and here you are. You're just thinking you're like this horrible like failure of a cartoonist and like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think something John said very early on is that it, it left a very poor impression of Adrian as a person. And I'm sure he's a lot more rounded than this, but like it just, it speaks to a really, like the impression that I get based on this collection of stories is that it feels very narcissist. It feels very, uh, well, there's like a profound lack of gratitude mm. and yeah, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm. Um, and it's like, I'm, I'm sure it's not reality. I'm sure he's much more rounded in real life, but to, you know what? It reminds me of that Joe Sacco cartoon where he like portrays himself so unrealistically exaggerated compared to everyone else in the comic right you know? and it's like why do you choose to go so hard for yourself right yeah, there's, right. A, there's a strong tradition of that sort of attitude in in comics uh jeff you called it mumblecore yeah <laughs> I, i've never heard that term before i, I think oh you're gonna start using that that's a well that's that's a cinematic term that's like a, a type of movie genre Oh, okay. Uh, so like when there's a movie that has no plot and the characters just stand around talking to each other, uh -huh. um, that's mumblecore. Okay. Uh, okay. Like Juno or oh um like uh like probably people would Joe Swanberg's like the big uh filmmaker who I think came up with the term. He did like easy for Netflix, but um like I think you could say a lot of Linklitter's work, Richard Linklitter's films, you could kind of call them. Um, mumblecore where it's just like it's about the moment it's about the conversations it's not really about driving a plot forward it's okay. just like life unfolding on the screen okay so that is a different <laughs> thing than than what I'm thinking of in this context no. um yeah but this sort of tradition of like uh sad old man comics yes where like <laughs> I'm the worst person ever let me draw a story about it yeah I mean I, mean, I think that whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I mean, sound like it is, but go off, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, it's very cathartic, right? I mean, I think that's part of the purpose of it is he gets to the end. Cathartic for starts, him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
he he draws this story of like all the things that are in his head and it's like okay well that's great and now i have to read it well this is i mean <laughs> i I'm, I'm curious to dig into this a little bit more because i do feel like in a way this is like a generational thing because like when I was any, as you mentioned, Jam, you came up into comics at a different point in a different direction than I did. And like, for me, there was superhero comics and there was nothing else. And then there were these like sad old men who were like Xeroxing little mini comics and they were having like a public therapy session on the page. And at the time it's like, this is brilliant. Like, oh my God, Daniel Klaus is brilliant. Because it's so different, like, right? Yeah. Is it different from superhero? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And like, you know, there's people like, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, he came up with like Seth and um, Chester Brown. Kathleen would know because Kathleen really likes his work. It's like the penultimate sad old man comic. Um, <laughs> but they like all his work was just like, I sit in my apartment watching pornography and I'm really sad. And it's just like, you're like, wow, you did three trade paperbacks of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, so, I'm going to feel so bad that I forgot this guy's name. But um, anyways, but like, I just think that that was the, that was the way things were done. That was what comics were. That was the, the pinnacle to March. Like was the, that was the peak to March up towards. And I, I, in some ways, I feel like this is something that I uh, suffer for a little bit in my own work, because I mean, that is still like, for me, that was what set my, my North star. And I was like, well, this is, I want to tell these real moments and real events. And like, um, you know, and when I've dabbled in autobio, it's like, you know, I often think I'm portraying myself negatively. And I mean, I've tried to stay away from autobio because I do kind of agree that I think cartoonist writing about cartoon is kind of boring. Like, it's like people said, oh, you should do a comic about founding Cloudscape. I'm like, who wants to read about that? Like, But that's not that's not about cartooning. <laughs> that's about founding an organization. Right, right. So Fair that enough. would be okay. So it's like, right. it, it becomes an Ouroboros when it's about like, I don't know, dealing with writer's block and like choosing mm. a pen or I, I don't right, know. Right, when it right, gets yeah. like a little bit too meta. And right. it's like, you can touch on that as an autobio cartoonist because obviously if you're a cartoonist, it's a big part of your life. But it's like, I I... I struggle, I struggle to absorb that type of material. Mm. I struggle to find the attraction in it, let's say. I mentioned that this phenomena happens in other industries. And mm. I would like to relay kind of the conclusion that I personally came to. So I really wanted to become an engineer. I wanted to become like a su successful person in career. Like career was very important to me as I went up through my education and uh, was starting to establish myself. And I also had my, you know, my North stars, like the people that I really look up, looked up to. And as I learned more about those people who I was aspiring to be, it's like, I realized that they also did not have a lot of balance in their life, you know, like they had a lot of divorces, they had a lot of health crises. Uh, and what I came to the conclusion of is that these people are not happy. And I, for myself, I decided my goal is to be happy. And I decided to change my North Star to people who are happy. <laughs> and they're not people that you would know. They're not people that you would ever necessarily encounter in a lot of these spaces chasing for these accolades and I think that's that's an important takeaway it was for me and so I come back to the fact that I do think that this this book is an important message to the community and to people who take uh whatever it is they're doing very very seriously it's like be be aware of what you're really striving for when you strive for these things yeah. I mean, yeah, I kind of read this as like almost like a cautionary tale in some ways, because I mean, yeah, it's like as much as I say, I found this relatable. I also found that this was relatable to a place where I had been. And I was like, wow, yeah, like I used to feel that way. If I had made an autobio comic about that time, like I probably would have structured it the same way like yeah I probably would also have my whole list of grievances that I could turn into comic strips but I've now also hit a point where I'm like 
well, that's not a good look. I'm not going to make that comic. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, not even, I'm not going to take that perspective. So yeah. I definitely also found it relatable. Certainly a lot of the, the party scenes where it's like, I can't believe these other people are here. And then like an interaction goes away that you didn't expect. And it's like, I definitely relate to the feeling of dwelling on that and giving it a lot of importance, but just being there at all sharing time and space with people who are so passionate about the same thing that you're passionate about is, is a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of came away from this book with like, you know, life shouldn't be a competition. It should be a celebration. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope sincerely <laughs> that <laughs> the broader perspective on Adrian's life has continued to improve beyond this epiphany. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I do think that, um, you know, as Jonathan was saying, he's focusing on the negative and not the positive. It's like, you know, at some point secretly in between the paid chapters of this book, he ends up married with two children. Exactly. It's so shocking. He's like, I'm going to marry this person who defended me from this very embarrassing moment. And it's like, and then we're married and we have a kid. And I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I will say maybe, uh, to, to like offer a little bit of an olive branch on Adrian's behalf. He also made a book called Scenes from an Impending Marriage, which is all about his relationship and getting married yeah. as okay. a separate graphic novel. So if you want something positive, maybe you got to buy another book. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Because yeah, it's like, as I mentioned, I could tell like this, this was my introduction to this author. This was my only. Yeah you know, within the context of just these pages, it's like, I could tell there's more going on, but as, as someone who only had these books as my personal canon, uh, it left a lot of gaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, and I think it's good that the gaps are obvious because that speaks to the theme. Like the, for sure. uh, For sure. I think it's very intentional that he's like jumping over huge chunks of time and jumping over like, you, like we never see him get any of his publishing deals. We never see a book signing that goes well. We never see like him pleading a graphic about, novel, yeah, seeing your yeah. book in a bookstore. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I was talking to my partner about this. It's like, there's the chapter where he's being interviewed by NPR yeah, wow. uh, with Terry Gross. And like, he's built it up so big in his head and like, as far as I can see, he actually has a pretty good interview. It's just, he internally feels like he's bombing. And so he frames it as this really negative thing, but at no point does he actually say anything dumb. He just did this interview and it worked out fine. And like, I'm sitting there going like, fuck dude, I wish I was being interviewed by NPR. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I think that, that was the, that was the, the scene where it came closest to gratitude where he's actually struck by the fact that he's being interviewed by one of his childhood heroes in Carnegie Hall, which yeah. uh, is someone who knows about New York. It's like extremely prestigious. So like there, there were moments and it, it's, it is interesting where the way that scene is structured is it, it's an out of body experience. It's like literally drawn as an out of body experience with the, the voice of negativity shouting at him while he's trying to concentrate on an interview. Yeah. And as a person who has experienced anxiety, that is also very relatable where it's like you, you sometimes cannot escape from that voice. Uh, and it's very painful and it's very disruptive to your life. So I, you know, condolences on, <laughs> shitty, uh, on a very unfortunate experience that you also have to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and just to, to bring it back for a minute to the the genre of sad old man comics uh <laughs> I, like it's never been really my kind of thing like I was aware of it but back when there was just sad old men or superheroes I was firmly in the superhero camp because I wasn't that interested except for like ghost world was the only one and that's not autobio but like I I don't want to, I don't want to do the thing that Adrian does where he is, and he like critiques himself on this, where he's sort of like being kind of an elitist, like before Frank Miller messes up, uh, like introducing him, he 
is like, oh, you know what? You know, we as in comics, we have all these camps. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't really do that. It's not fair for me to be an elitist and say like, oh, superheroes aren't any good. Like we're all in one community together, right? And like, I think that's, uh, I, like I want to check myself in that too, where like, I don't want to be down on this genre that has been like incredibly important, incredibly influential. For some people, this is exactly what they want out of comics um it's just it's not not my thing yeah and I I do want to thank you Jeff for like helping me understand that kind of broader context that this work sits in uh when I see or when I understand more that it's it's kind of relying on certain tropes from within this genre that that helps it out a little bit I think yeah I mean I guess like I part of me is like wondering I was like oh maybe it would have been better to start with like summer blonde or something to get a sense of where he starts from. But this just, to me, I was like, this just seems so, or to me, it felt very relevant to me today. And I was like curious sure. what other cartoonists would think of it in this context of a, a memoir kind of looking back at, at those, the early aughts, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and from that perspective, it's very interesting because again, like comics is super small and none of us were very removed from the events that were happening there, you know, just by virtue of trying to practice in the same space at the same time and it was worth reading I do want to reiterate that like it's strong cartooning the book was really well constructed it executed on its goal yeah it's just not my teacup I think yeah, it's no. at the end of the no, day fair enough, I, I, fair it was enough to like make me curious about the rest of Adrian's work where it's like well if it's not just a total suffer fest <laughs> uh, I, I think he's a very competent cartoonist is really really good at capturing some of these nuanced moments and portraying them in really realistic ways uh, i really like his lettering oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. his I mean, characters like uh, like the people who i know what they look like like they're drawn perfectly yeah and frank it's also like, like reduced in a really beautiful way yeah like they're uh, drawn perfectly but also like very economically well and i'm actually glad you brought that up because like if you were to go back and i was actually gonna say if you if you are curious i would say go all the way back to summer blonde um which is like one of his first books and that's all fiction. But like, if you look at the way he draws, it's way more detailed and fraught. And like, I actually really enjoyed seeing how he's just loosened up. This just seems like a cartoonist who's super comfortable being a cartoonist now uh, in this work. Hmm. Um, he's also like, set himself like a real challenge here of like working on a surface with grid. Mm. Like that's, it. it's, almost to the point where the grid is distracting but it never quite gets there because and i think it comes down to his cartooning ability do you think he did actually draw on grid though no 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 like i think mm. either he drew on grid and then was able to scan it out and put it back in after but no he did not scan this grid because the grid I, is the same one in every every single page I, I would imagine i mean i could be wrong here but i would almost imagine he might have done this in a moleskin and then traced everything out on vellum and then they used the, you know, at the print step, like just layered everything back together. That's Could be. plausible. That however would, that would it's make done, sense. Yeah, however it's done though, the, the blue grid was added in in post. Yeah, and yeah. I did like that. I liked the aesthetic of the blue grid. Like the aesthetic hmm. of this book being like such a spot onto a moleskin, like it kind of lends itself back to this being a very specific message to a very specific group because I think like cartoonists especially can very instantly recognize and kind of have this fondness for moleskin well uh, so it's interesting I, mean, I wonder how this, moleskin feels about it <laughs> yeah well I was gonna say I mean again we're we're very um copacetic me and Adrian because like this is this is what I have a hundred of on my bookshelf this is what I always carry around to sketch in so I'm, except I don't have the grid version. I just have the plain paper, but like. I know, I can't work on a grid. Um, yeah, but like, I, again, I was just like, the, all the choices, I was like, yeah, relatable, 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 relatable. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's good. It's like, yeah. it's, 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 I think it's better to speak to a specific audience than to speak too broadly. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, and actually, it's really, sorry. Uh, it, it's really interesting how, the the format of the book is such an important part of the storytelling because like like we said at the end he like opens up an exact copy of this book to start the first panel of the book and like if it was I, like I don't know if you would get that same 
like that very important story element if it was a digital comic. Mm, yeah. Again, mm. I understand why Jaron Corey cares a lot about the books. And if you can get a physical copy, I'm very happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> please, yeah, yeah. Please yeah. just recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different people are in different circumstances at different points yeah. in their lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Like, this is this is a detour now, but uh like I was just looking at who listens to our podcast and uh like we've got listeners from like all over the world. We've got like four people listen to our comic from Iran this year and like wow. from like Russia and from like uh, Indonesia and like you're not gonna get a physical copy of this book if you're in those countries yeah <laughs> yeah so, but I mean if it's an ebook yeah probably you can yeah no and that's yeah, yeah. it's like and then on, like you can quarterly. read it and decide <laughs> like yeah it is worth the 50 dollars of shipping to get me the full meal deal experience uh or or not. And I also wanted to bring up, this is again, like kind of tangenting way back onto the path. Uh, but I noticed that there was a very consistent six panel grid mm. Uh, mm. used on every single page. And I was wondering how you felt about the effect of that. To me, it made it feel like a very kind of rigid, almost inescapable march forward in time. Oh, it's like beat, 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 beat. Like, yeah. so consistent uh because i feel like this is it probably washes over within this particular indie comics community because i find what is that book v for vendetta was kind of like this right yeah or where watchmen. it kept a very say again watchmen watchmen right where it kept this very consistent grid and i i don't mm. see that very often in superhero it's definitely not true in most manga so right it was, it was yeah, it's cool. mostly an artifact of the past i think hmm I mean, I have, I remember I listened to uh, a panel with uh, superhero artists and I remember one artist spent a whole year only doing six panel grids. And he did that as a personal challenge that he wanted to try and make comics feel exciting without any showmanship in the panels. And the, other, and, the, and the other, the other artist was like, you're crazy. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I feel like um, I kind of just it started to ignore the consistency of the grid after a while. Uh, the one thing that that still stood out for me was that how every every scene has a blank panel with the time and and time and place. And that's like the that. one place where like the, the, the pattern breaks. And I think that was really useful as a storytelling element to sort of I agree. have those 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 breaks between scenes. I yeah. really liked the timing of those panels, but it kind of it it kind of lent that self it's like reading this felt like careening out of control at mm. times where I was just because it was so cringe and so unrelentingly cringe I was just desperate to breathe and it's <laughs> like every time you know like the panel just advances 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 and I'm like holy shit slow down and then uh you'd have these white panels and it's like oh the hits keep coming you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just no, like, that's ah. true because like right. we don't what we don't have except for like at the very beginning and the very end is we don't have any blank pages to break up the scenes it's we just that establishing one shots. Yeah. yeah. We don't there. have aspect to aspect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're never enjoying the moment. Yeah. No. And that's there, probably there, very intentional. There was one one break in the rule, which is the frantic letter to his daughter's page. Uh, that's very true. That's very true. And which it is was very, very impactful. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, I mean it's interesting when you talk about it, it's a relentless because when I bought this book the first time I think I read it in a day or maybe two days and so when we we're gonna read when I was rereading this for the podcast I again I like read it in two days and I remember specifically I was having trouble sleeping and I was like okay I'll read some more of this and then I'm just like well fire I'm just gonna finish it and I just like plowed through to the end like at midnight or one in the morning just like because it was just like couldn't put it down I was like I'm too far in I just got to finish it now yeah. Um, yeah. I also was not, I did not have the luxury of being able to take a break. So maybe that also felt that mm. contributed to my feeling it was relentless. No, I, like, yeah. like, I, I feel the same. Like I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily enjoying my reading experience all the way through, <laughs> but I did feel that same pressure to just keep going. And I, I do, yeah, now that you mentioned it, Jam, I do think like, oh, yeah, that's got to have something to do with the format of the pages. Yeah. No, I think so. This is like sort of, 
another uh, tangent here, but Jonathan, I specifically wanted to know what you thought of the chapter where he's drawing for his daughter's elementary school class. Oh, he's so bad at that. <laughs> he got it in the end. I was I mean, proud of him. Yeah, he, he was he like, he just got to draw farts and stink lines. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the email that the teacher sent out afterward was not necessary. Uh, but I mean, I guess it's in the book because it's a cringe event. Right. <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, I feel like there must that that email must have happened if he yeah. put it in the book. But then yeah. I was just thinking, like, I don't know, like it's a bunch of elementary school kids. Of course, they want you to draw farts and stink lines. Uh -huh. Like uh -huh. these New Yorkers and their who's getting who's movies. getting all who's getting all mad and emailing about. Oh yeah, no, that was exactly that was, that was exactly my thought. It's like oh, that tells me something about the the kids in this class and who their parents are. <laughs> oh, we don't have poop jokes in our in our house. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the moments of tenderness between him and his kids. It definitely mm. was like the the whole relationship with him and his kids is the most redeeming part of this work mm. you know it really reveals a lot of his humanity and i really did appreciate and i could feel like the depth of what parenthood really did mean to him through that letter mm. uh and i really loved the moment when he's just he's so terrified that he's going to faint on the way up his stairs and his his two little kids are going to have to deal with that like that was a really good <laughs> it was really yeah. powerful stuff yeah or the the letters he's drafting in case he doesn't survive yeah uh and and also i think the fact that he's not necessarily a very good or very confident parent at the start like that's oh that's like yeah that's exactly how that would be yeah yeah that's yeah. a good point like because there's a there's a really big contrast between him and nora as a toddler uh -huh. and then you know when he has his second kid like he's able to uh even reflect on his own childhood about calling people stupid idiots like it was a nice mm -hmm. moment yeah yeah I, I mean, again, I don't have kids, but man, I definitely like sympathized with the scene with his daughter having a meltdown and then some random person being like, let me, <laughs> let me tell you how to raise your kids. Like, <laughs> uh -huh. I see, I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I feel like those cringe moments bother me a lot less because he's not the villain right i agree with that yeah. i agree with yeah. that like that cringe moment like i can i can see that sticking in someone's craw for a really long time yeah that's that's also the kind of thing like i would remember that and like mull it over and like redigest it like every few years forever <laughs> but at least it's like oh that's someone else is having a really bad day it's not me that time yeah 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like the beginning, it's all about cartoons. And then as he gets his kids, then suddenly that becomes more of the memories is like times with his family. Yeah. And then he has that the health scare and then it's really just grounds itself all of a sudden, um, which I think at some point I was I was thinking about commenting on the state of the American healthcare system. But I'm not super confident that a Canadian having chest pains wouldn't also be sitting in a waiting room and being bewildered for <laughs> no. about the same amount of time. Yeah. yeah but the we wouldn't get a $15,000 bill for it after. That's, the that's true. That's yes, the indeed. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have someone saying, oh, we we don't cover your insurance anymore. Like, no, there's yeah. the one insurance. That's, that's true. Yeah. yeah. All, all first... hospitals triage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's useful, I feel to know that I, I I found the nurse very sympathetic where she's like, look, we triage. And if you're hanging around, it's like, you're actually probably going to be okay. I mean, probably right. we would feel differently about it if this was taking place in 2022, but it's <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, the hospitals are, are scary and waiting around can be really, really scary. But I mean, I've been in that circumstance as well. Like when I dislocated my shoulder, I was in the hospital for hours mm. with my shoulder out before Jeez. they would even put it back <laughs> i was horrendous <laughs> it was terrible uh -huh. yeah geez. it's a really sucky thing to have to go through yeah um do we want to do final thoughts well i i really enjoyed this book i've really enjoyed talking to you guys about this book uh i think it actually gave me some more insights to sort of hear other perspectives i'm actually really fascinated to know what a non-cartoonist would think of this because i sort of feel like so much stuff about doing conventions and 
going to shows and sucky autograph signings, I was just like, yes, I've experienced these things where I wonder what a, a quote unquote civilian would think of it. Am I, I don't know I want- that I would recommend this to someone who is not a cartoonist <laughs> because it, it's thing. not a very good window. It's not a very accurate window on what it's like if you have no no experience with it. Hmm. Uh, I'm glad I read it and I enjoyed our conversation. Uh, but like John, there's a very narrow group that I feel like I would be able to recommend this to. It's not for your kids, even though it's probably rated general audience. It's not for a casual comics person because it's very inside baseball. And it's not... It's, it's from a, very, such a particular voice. You know, like the the segment of appreciation for it is very narrow. Uh, however, all of that being said, if you are a cartoonist, it is a nice reminder as a cautionary tale that comics is a very small pool and there is a lot more to life than cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you got to keep your expectations low because, like, maybe all you get is that one time when you were nominated for an award and the jerk giving the presentation doesn't say your name. Yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. find some other reason to be enjoy, in this. Enjoy that's that all moment. You're in for. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Who has a cruise with cartoonists on it, though? That's. I didn't. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> I'd never heard of that. That's whoever, whoever organized that should be in jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah and whoever organized that should not have invited like the superhero people and the sad old man people because oh, there is man, very man. little overlap between those audiences dang uh all right cool we got paid well <laughs> yeah seriously oh man I, I that's one experience i'm glad i don't have is being on a, a cruise <laughs> cruise ship with disappointed superhero fans uh so i'm gonna shout out iron widow which is a prose book not a a comic by siran j jow they're a local author uh, and it's a really interesting book i i wasn't sure exactly what i was getting myself into but it's like this it's like a, a genre that there's not a lot written in it's like giant robots and kind of a fantasy ish version of china but it's it's like basically science fiction and it's like really fast paced and interesting doesn't waste any time it just that's straight to the point is that the woman who does the chinese history on youtube yeah okay yeah and i think there's a second volume coming eventually too it's it's uh, like i don't want to say too much about it because there are spoilers but it was a good book i like it Mm, cool okay well i'm jam I recently finished the fourth volume of Our Dreams at Dusk, uh, Shimanami Tasogare, which is a manga by Yuki Kama, Kamatani. And uh, I did not realize that this fourth book was the final book in the series uh, until I was halfway through it. But I, I thought this four book series was incredibly impactful. It's about the queer experience in Japan. And uh, I cried a lot at that fourth book. So... Uh, if that speaks to you, I highly recommend checking out Our Dreams at Dusk. So I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, I'm just going to really quickly uh, apologize to Joe Matt for forgetting his name earlier. Uh, so Joe Matt is the cartoonist I was trying to reference. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to read. So I watched Spirited on Apple TV last night with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, and that is a great reinterpretation of the Christmas Carol uh, for the modern era. It's the idea that the spirits kind of are running a business where like every year they have to reform an evil person. It's not just Scrooge. It's just like an ongoing project. And Ryan Reynolds is a social media influencer who they're trying to help. And he's starting a culture war about fake trees versus real trees in order to sell more real trees and it just everything just feels super on point like it's 100 percent the christmas movie for 2022 
So I know it's on Apple TV, which means almost nobody can see it. But like, if you can pirate it, <laughs> uh, Spirited is a great Christmas movie. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right. Uh, our next book is going to be Space Boy, Volumes 1 and 2 by Stephen McCraney. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, uh, we're also on iHeartRadio now, aren't we? Not quite. Not quite? Okay. Yeah. See. That has to be confirmed. Um, okay. We're definitely on Spotify. Uh, and also we have a coffee, Kofi, whatever it is. Yes. Where you can help us pay for hosting this podcast. Yeah. Uh, every year we have to, we actually pay out of pocket to host this podcast. So if you've been enjoying it and you can kick us a couple of bucks, it would really help us out. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks.